Let's take our Bibles and go to Philippians, New Testament. Uh, we're, this is the beginning of our series this summer, and it'll stretch through about halfway through the fall, going through the verse, the book of Philippians, verse by verse. We're going to look at the theme of contentment. I know this is a difficult time for many people, and if you watch the news at all, if you read the newspaper any, you'll see there's a lot of drama in the world. Has anyone noticed that a little bit? Maybe. Sometimes. There's a lot of it, and there's a lot of what we see having to do with contentment. So we're going to look at this theme through the book of Philippians, contentment in conflict. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to begin there in verse number 1. We're going to read all the way over through verse number 11, and then hopefully be able to unpack as much as we can. So let's go ahead and read that, and then I'm going to give you some background of the book, um, because there's something called context. Context. Context means taking things and understanding things in the way that they were intended. Think, for example, if you've walked in on a friend's conversation and you hear something that sounds totally off, and then when you hear the context of this discussion, the sentence makes sense. So let's look at Philippians chapter 1, beginning there in verse 1. This is the Word of God. The Bible says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. And you make a little note here, this word overseers, uh, sometimes that may be translated elders, but it has to do, uh, the Greek word is episkopoi, it means the leaders of the church. And then we've got deacons. Uh, when we nominated Matt to be a deacon, I guess it was about last year. I mean, it was a good while ago. Remember that sermon, Dead Deacons? Anybody remember that? Like, what kind of a sermon is this going to be? We looked at what the Bible has to say. And basically the distinction here, why Paul is giving two specific groups, is the, the overseers, the elders, are the ones who have this leadership of spiritual direction of the church. The deacons are the ones who take care of the practical ministry of the church so that the work would actually be able to get done. Verse number 2. Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus And it is my prayer that your love may abound or increase more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be so pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And finally, verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. We're going to look at this morning's subject, unbreakable friendships. Let me give you a little bit of a context about Philippians. This was took place in a place called Philippi, which for our history buffs in here, 
was named after uh, Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great. The Romans went in and colonized it. And speaking of taxes, if you were a Roman citizen living in Philippi, guess what you never had to pay? Taxes. Anybody want to move to Philippi, right? Like this was a great place economically. This was an area of Europe to when Paul went to, it didn't have any Christians at that point. He went there and planted a church. Now, where was Paul when he was writing to the people living in Philippi? He was in prison. So, one thing I would encourage you to do, if you don't already have a heavy-duty, hardcore Bible reading plan, is just start working through the book of Philippians and take it with a grain of salt in this sense. Paul was writing this in prison. Now, scholars debate whether it was in Caesarea or whether it was in Rome. Um, I wasn't there, and I'm not really sure. And on, ultimately, it doesn't make all that much difference. That's one of the things that you can do to history professors that will drive them absolutely nuts. Don't do this if you're in their class. They will probably fail you. When they say such and such happened at such and such time, and this is absolutely... Say, were you there? Yeah. By the way, don't do that. All right, since school is just ready to start up, that's probably not the best pastoral advice I've ever given you. All right, so here's the theme of Philippians. The theme, one word, encouragement. We looked in Sunday school this morning about a word called edify. Edify, imagine this, if your friend could be compared to a brick wall. Okay? Say, boy, you are dense, all right? So some of y'all get that later. And so you to edify, to encourage means that if your friend is a brick wall that's going to be built into a magnificent structure, to encourage and edify is to help build them up. To be a pain, to be a discouragement, to be selfish and prideful and spiteful and jealous is to come to the structure of your friend's life that is not yet completed. Although Paul says, I would note this verse in your Bibles. Verse number 6, Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he, speaking of God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. None of us are finished. None of us have arrived. But imagine that to discourage and to bring down someone is to go and take brick by brick log by log, nail by nail, to tear down someone. So the theme here, Paul is in prison, and we go to the jail. It's one of those things like when you see somebody, you say, how are you doing, right? Like that's a customary southern greeting, right? Or how you doing, right? Like say, yeah, that's a little bit further north. And you go and you're like, how are you doing? And we say, I know that's kind of a tough question to ask you guys, but seriously, how are you doing? If you're in prison, you're probably not going to say, I am great, Right? Like, this is where I wanted to be at this place in life. But here he is. The grace of God has done such a work in his heart that he can write while in prison to encourage other people. Stop right here. Just because we've had a rough time, a rough year, a rough life, doesn't mean that we have to sit there and roll in that the rest of our life. Amen? Just because, and by the way, there's nobody here that hasn't had to endure difficulty. Paul speaks in just a few verses there in uh, verse number 7 about the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. He's saying that you guys have suffered with me. There's no one in this life who will get out of it without suffering. And yet here's a man who has suffered an incredible amount, but he's able to still encourage other people. And theologians say that this is basically the most practical out of all of Paul's epistles. We've got James, obviously written by 
Y'all okay this morning? By, by James, that was a test. All right, so out of all of Paul's writings, this is like when you have all these massive theological writings like the book of Romans and so forth, this is like where it comes down to the sharp end of the stick and you say, okay, here's how you put these things into practice. The driving thought, this is in your outline this morning. I'm just going to read it to you. If you have it there, just follow along with me. The driving thought of this passage is this. A friendship is as solid as its foundation. If it is grounded upon Jesus Christ, the friendship will last. But if it is built upon mere mutual interest, then the quote-unquote friendship will fade. A friendship is as solid as its foundation. We're going to look at three aspects of this. Let me just give it to you up front. Uh, Friendships based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ will produce these things in your life. Number one, an unbreakable bond with one another. Number two, friendships based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ will give you an unshakable confidence in God. We're going to wait for number three in just a few moments, but there's always the little key, the cheat sheet for your OCD note takers, and you can go ahead and fill it in and get ready for that. Okay, so friendships based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, why would Paul go back to verse three with me? He begins to kind of like lay it on. It almost seems a little heavy. Have you ever been around someone and they're just a little bit too nice? Uh, like two people, right? Like, like they're, they're encouraging, they're nice, but you're like, at what point are they going to hit me up for a loan? You know? Like, it, it just seems almost a little bit disingenuous. Kind of, kind of like when friends will come to you and be like, dude, you're awesome. No, seriously, you're, you are the bomb.com. You are great. You're the best. And you almost think that they're making fun of you. Anybody ever felt like that? Like your good friend, by the way, you can only be a good friend to do that, right? Are y'all alright this morning? Okay, y'all freaking me out. Come on, let's get this going. Okay, so, like somebody comes to you and, and they begin to lay it on a little bit heavy. It just creates awkwardness. Check this out. Somebody writes this note to you and they say, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Mm, sounds a little bit like evangelist, right? Joy. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I'm sure that he will complete this work in you. Go to verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you. Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers of me of grace. And then over in verse number 8, he says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is a guy writing to a church. And we don't have time to break down the cultural differences between American culture and the sharing of feelings and first century Judaism. And I would just put this for you to consider that when we read stories about biblical friendships like David and Jonathan, who were most known for their ability to do great feats of strength that involved killing the enemy more times than not. That was the resume. David, great harpist, excellent lyricist, can write. He can tend sheep with the best of them. He can kill lions and predators with the best of them. But basically, other than his heart in the early years being turned towards God, is like, well, what can... Dude, I can kill people with the best of them. And Jonathan, and yet there were times to where they wept embracing 
one another. Let's put this to you consider. I think often in American culture, we try to be proper while suppressing a part of our human makeup called emotion. Some of you are like, you don't know my wife. You don't know my husband. They need some lessons on how to suppress the emotion, all right? There will be no amens at this point in order to continue continuity with the body of Christ, okay? But in our culture, usually if you show emotion, then that means that you have lost control of what you should have, your dignity. In the pages of the Bible, if it's appropriate, it is altogether proper for men, for warriors, for kings, for the tough of the tough, to weep and show emotion because that is truly human. Let us sink in. God has made us with emotions not to where we are dominated by them or we have to wear mood rings. If you don't know what that is, just praise God that you're not from that generation and move on and eat some lunch afterwards and say, praise Jesus, I was born in the good old days. All right? Mood rings. doesn't mean that we get dominated by emotions, but it means that it's a part of who we are. And to act like we don't have them makes us come to texts like this and just be like, I'm going to flip the page because that kind of makes me a little bit freaked out that there's that much emotion being displayed. So here's the thing. What type of a relationship would produce any man like Paul that much feeling and love for other people? It's simply this. Go to verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel. Because you've partnered with me in the gospel. If I were to ask, what, what is the definition of a good friend? Probably have different answers. Some people would say a friend is someone who will listen to you. Other people say that a good friend is someone who will be there with you no matter what. But let's just rewind a little bit in our lives. Remember when you were maybe four, five, six, what a good friend was? At least for little boys, a good friend is someone who would help you build Legos. A good friend who would come and, and play with you in the mud. A friend who would, along with you, make up imaginary characters. Okay? I'm sure there's something on the other spectrum for a girl, but I'm not going to try to hypothesize upon that. And then when you get into middle school, a friend is someone who will write, like sit with you and talk with you so that you don't have to be alone. When you get into high school, some of the same thing, especially for guys. Like, what is a friend? Like, dude, we're on the same team. We play the same sports. We're involved in the same stuff. We go hunting. We go fishing together. We're on the wrestling team together. We cause each other pain. Definition of male friendships, by the way, always for the most part involves physical and verbal abuse to some extent. Okay? And, and then when we get older, friendships, sometimes those mutual interests, we may get to the point to where one of us is not able to continue to do those activities. And if the friendship is simply based upon mutual interest, then the friendship will fade. There's one of my friends named Marshall, and he was in the Marine Corps, and he told me, he says, Jeff, when I was in the Marine Corps, he said, we had such a sense of camaraderie and community. He says, we were so close because we knew when we went into battle, we were literally depending upon each other for our lives. Now, Paul says right here, go back with me to verse number 7. He says, in my imprisonment... And in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, he says, you have been partakers with me of grace. 
My friend Marshall said, but you know, I, I've got to say it, it, I almost sound, sounds a little discouraging, but I have not really found that same level of commitment and camaraderie within the body of Christ. You know the reason why? Is sometimes we can get to the point in church to where we think that being friends is simply attending church together. Did you know that you can attend church together with somebody for 50 years and never be that person's friend? And we say this in the South. Yeah, I go to church over there. Well, that may be fine if you go to church over there, but the point of the New Testament is when you partner together to do what Jesus said to do, it's at that point that your souls become knitted together. Amen? Like, think about this. We're not even going to go to missions and evangelism yet. Think of when you have served alongside someone. Something difficult. It could be anything like trying to replace a motor in a vehicle or change a tire. Those things that sometimes may be more difficult for some. Or if you've worked with someone. Or if you're a nurse, you've been in the hospital and you've helped save someone's life. Or if you have been through something extremely difficult with another person, it's almost as if Paul's saying here that suffering for something that matters fuses together friendship to where we come to our American model of we're friends. What do you do? We go hunt, we fish, we work out together. In 30 years, that'll make about as much different as a budget proposal from the Senate, which doesn't exist, okay? It's going to fade away. Friendships that are simply based upon, I like this, you like this, let's do these things together, they don't last. What lasts is when you bind yourself together with someone to do something that lasts forever. That's why I encourage you, it's going to be hopefully a practical message here, in the sense that we encourage our friends to follow Jesus. The most friendly thing you can ever do for your friend is to try to make sure they're right with Jesus. You are not a friend to the person that you claim to be a friend to if you never, and you know there are huge issues in their life, you know they're not close to God, you know that they don't care if you simply never tell them about Jesus. It's so easy to kid ourselves sometimes, isn't it? Do y'all sense the awkwardness in here? Anybody? I just want to be very clear. I'm not trying to be abrasive. But if you claim to be a friend to someone and you know that they are not right with God, you know that there's no fruit of the Holy Spirit, you, you can, you can, like, it's not like you're trying to play spiritual witch doctor and, you know, sit there and judge him and get out your little checklist. But like, you've got a heart and a mind and the Holy Spirit living inside you. You can see that there's something bad wrong with your friend. They don't have a desire for the word. They're bitter. They're totally unhappy. And, 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 and you say that you're their friend, but you never point out What's the problem? And we know like the basic level of friendship is if you get up from eating dinner and you've got a long strand of spaghetti or something hanging from your teeth, your friend's going to let you know. Can I get an amen in the house? Like if you're one of those cruel people that worry so much about your insecurity that you can have your friend get up. I know of a friend who got came back from the restroom and they still had some toilet paper trailing out behind them, just like a long tail, right? There are some people like, oh, I don't want to make them feel weird. Tell them, dude, leave it in the restroom. Even if it makes it awkward and weird. You see, man, I care enough about you that I don't want you to be embarrassed. I don't want you to feel weird. I don't want you to feel awkward. And what we've got to do is get down to the point where we say, what is friendship? 
Friendship is the thing that we say we are going to care for you, even if right now you don't see your need for Jesus Christ. So they partnered together for the gospel. And this word um, here in verse number five, the partnership is the Greek word koinonia. And I know that everybody is so much more encouraged that you just learn the word koinonia, right? What it means is fellowship. But then for Baptists, that simply means food, doesn't it? This, all right, honest man. This word has to do with partnering together for a mission. Something to where you say, we are together in this. And I just, I know, I, I stayed up way too late these past few weeks watching the Olympics. Is anybody else in that same category? You know, you're like, I need to go to bed, but it's like it goes off at midnight. I mean, I just love seeing these teams and like the relay runners and the basketball teams. It's just so awesome. And especially when they had the uh, the swimming and, and the swimming relay. And when those guys won, it was just like they grabbed a hold of each other. And they're just, you know, I'm not going to do the Michael Phelps scream in here, but they were just so Stoked and, and I mean excited because they had partnered together. I just got to make a note here. It's been on my heart. Synchronized swimming. That'll be the day. That will be the day to where some of us guys, like let's say we go for a father-son hike, we jump off of a, you know, like a rock jumping, we're down there in the water swimming, you know, and then one of the guys says, fellas, I have an idea. We say, what's your idea? Let's all synchronize our swimming together. It's not even a boat, dude. You, you are out of the man club, right? Like you are, you are out. I just, I can never see myself with a group of guys. And I know that we, I don't know if we won the gold, but I hope that we didn't even medal in that event. Getting there in the, in the water with those types of swimming attire on and simply trying to synchronize our movements. That is, God will judge that. Just, just kidding. All right. So like, so the, the thing, the thing is this. There are different things that we can be connected with. You see, Jeff, are you saying that we shouldn't go, you know, like, you know, go shopping or, or do things with our friends? No, I'm saying that we should actually do those things with our friends, but do it in this way. That the things that we do, whether it be exercise or whether it be shopping or whatever it is, I mean, crocheting, that we do those things as missional avenues to use those mutual interests to reach our friends for Jesus. Amen? Like, that's truly a friend. Danny Aiken said this, and this goes back to verse number 5, and he says, partner together in the gospel. He said, if you remove missions from the Bible, you will have nothing left other than the covers. That's good. If you remove missions from the Bible, you will have nothing left other than the covers. You know that missions is not just something that we do. It's not a program of the church. It is the focal point of the Bible. It begins, God creates everything and it's perfect. He creates man. Man has the ability to choose to follow God or to rebel. Man chooses to rebel. The whole thing crashes and burns. Then God sends prophets calls out for himself a special people, the Israelites, says, through you, you're going to be a light to the Gentiles. They don't do it. He sends more prophets, brings them back to repent. They do sometimes, but then they fall right back into the same old thing. And then God sends Jesus through the nation of Israel to redeem the whole world forever 
for whoever wants to believe and who is willing to believe in Jesus. And at the end of the book, it's Jesus coming back to finish the job. If our friendships are simply based upon mutual interest, mutual music-like different things that we enjoy in church, we're not truly friends because, and this is a song that goes back to the cheesy 90s Christian songs, which most of them were at that point. Friends are friends forever if the Lord is the Lord of them. We have to partner together for something that lasts. Partnership together in the gospel. Now notice here, once again, Paul is praying for these people. And he says, and this is, this is scripture, he's not lying, but go back to verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. In all? There's some people that bring us joy when we think of them. Someone who loves us and who is invested in our life. But there's some people that if we could be honest when we think of in the context of the church... Some people say, I just want to pray imprecatory psalms against them. I just like, when I think of certain people, they just frustrate me and they drive me nuts. Why was Paul able to say this honestly? Because they had partnered together in the gospel. I just feel led to say this. Um, some people are, are, you know, they say, come to that point and say, I need to make out my will. Why don't you, every single one of us in here, if you're making out your will or if it's not in there, why don't you put something in there that you you give, however much the Lord leads you, to give to missions, to the gospel, to specifically saying, I want the people who don't know Jesus to be reached. I think that's a good will, amen? Because our church budget, my personal budget, and your personal budget says more than what we say, what we truly believe is important. So then go with me a step further in verses 7 through 11. Not only do true friendships based upon Jesus give us an unshakable confidence in God, but third and finally, and that is a meaningless term because we had our music and... um, I've got to leave shortly after the service, but we're still not going to get out early. But number three, a unified goal produces genuine concern for one another. Notice he says all of these things like he's truly concerned for them. In verse number eight, how I yearn with you all for the affection, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Then he says in verse nine, this is really where it turns the practical parts come in. He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Is that our prayer for our friends? Say, my desire for you, and this is all in your outline if you want to follow this, a brilliant, by the way, brilliant linear argument here. You could use this in a logic class. Paul says, it's my prayer that your love for Christ, your love for people, explode. But what a great thing to do starting today, that our prayer for each other and for our friends would be that they would love Jesus more than anything. Because that's really caring for our friends. So he says it's to explode more and more. And then notice love with knowledge and discernment. Knowledge and discernment. It means knowledge, having knowledge of Christianity. That means that we should spur our friends to read the Bible. And this is so basic, but to simply to come to church. And that's one reason why I love small group Bible study. Small group Bible study is the time where you can get with a group of people and you can discuss stuff. And we have some great teachers here. If you're in Bible study, you should say amen at that point. I mean, some Bible teachers who can teach the Word of God. 
See, if you're not involved in a Bible study, I'm not going to uh, beat you up here. I'll let the Holy Spirit do that. But you should seriously consider being involved because what happens when you study the Word of God with people and when you're able to be there in that small group atmosphere, you have those companionships and you have those friendships because it's rooted around God's Word. You know that if you have something happen during the week, you can call your Bible study Sunday school class and they will be there to help you out. Now notice here he says, with all discernment. Discernment simply means um, being able to make wise decisions in light of the data. Why is it important today for us to have discernment? There can be a point where we say, Lord, I love you. I want to serve you. But we don't have discernment. And we allow popular culture to influence us. I have watched movies before. Coming away from the movies, thinking differently than when I went in. We have to be so careful today that we don't allow the world to influence our thinking. And it hits us from every single direction. Often it hits us at school. It hits us when we turn on the television. It hits us when we read the newspaper. So many, this is another sermon for another time, but so much of today's world is slanted to where it's trying to pull us away from serving Jesus Christ. You're saying, now Jeff, are you saying for me to never watch a movie? No. In fact, I think a lot of times it's good for us to be up on the culture instead of sticking our head in the sand. You gotta know your world, but you have to do it with discernment. So not only that, verse 10, why would Paul pray and why should we pray for our friends to be filled with discernment? So that you may approve what is excellent. Meaning, so that you will make good choices. Don't you think that's a great aspect of friendship? To desire for our friends to make good choices. Other than like, well, you're my friend and you made a great choice. You know, like, well, what's more to talk about? To make great choices so that, notice this linear argument continues here in verse number 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and be so pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. Which means, hey friend, I'm not trying to like make this super heavy or weird or anything, but like, I, I, I care about you and I, I, I want you to love the Lord. I love you. I care about you. Is there anything I can pray about for you? Can I encourage you in any way? Like, I want you to love the Lord. He means so much to me because this is the focal point of the argument. Because the day of Jesus Christ is the day that we meet Jesus. And we give an account of our life. And we're going to give an account for how we have dealt with our friends. And Paul says they have partnered together with Him for the Gospel. Notice verse 11. And here's the final result of everything, when you pour yourself into people, that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Man, isn't it an awesome thing when you serve Jesus? When you actually sacrifice for Him and He gives you that, that sense? Good job. You know what I'm talking about? Like when he says, you stepped out in faith, you thought it was going to be scary, you thought you were going to die in Costa Rica, you thought you weren't going to be able to pay your light bill because you gave so that people go to Costa Rica, all of those things. But when you do it, and he says, good job, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's so amazing right here that you and I, when we pour into people's lives, will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. That means to be in a right standing with God. Where you know, you know what God, my friend is not yet following you but I've done everything that I could and I'm not going to stop until I take my last breath. 
I will not leave my friend behind. Justin made a film. Was it last year, The Cup? You can, you can find it on, on YouTube, but it's, it says selfishness disguised as everyday life. Really cool film. There's actually no words. It's just guy getting up, going to work, drinking his coffee, eating his toast, going to run, doing things, but the whole film, he's simply, he's, he's